0: The entire book of Acts in an hour. And again, each week, a different book with the idea that by the time we're done, we'll have a better understanding of the entire Bible. And this is such a fun book. And and all of this, it's always about discipline, about making sure that we develop the book in a way we understand and not just, you know. It's like working in a museum and having every painting you could tell where the person came from and where the, what they were doing when they painted it and all that and you have all these stories floating in your head and you're like I can't share that I can't share that not say but the good news is, is if we can walk like we use that analogy of walking through the, uh, the museum and letting you walk through it and kind of going this is this wing and this is this wing and then you can get drawn to it on your own and then you, you carry it with you at all times so you kind of go all right, I want to look at that so, so let's pray one more time Lord, I want to thank you so much as we now step out of the Gospels and move into the book of Acts. I pray that you would give us supernatural ability to just massively consume your scripture and to truly be in this place where we are so overflowing, not clogged and clotted or gluttoned, but where we kind of just feel like we need to take a nap, but rather the opposite, Lord, where we are energized and just built and going, yes, God. And I just pray this book would inspire us motivate us in such a way, Lord, that we would go, oh, I I get it. I get it. So, Lord, minister to us now profoundly in that area, we pray. And use this time, Lord, just to prepare us for the rest of our life. In Jesus' name. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit, please, God. Come upon me so that you do all the
1: work. Amen. Like always, please
0: don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. The Bible be your authority. Okay. We have writer, previous book, and therefore at the beginning of your handout. Notice there's places to fill things in. I've tried to make it easy. I will not go slow, and I'm quite thankful that I think everybody at this table, English is your first language. So,
1: I, it's not.
0: No? What's your first language? General. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Uh oh. Well, you, you're quite bright, <laughs> no, though. Probably. My my first um, language is actually American. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll do my best. Okay. The writer of the book is Luke. This previous book was Luke. That kind of oh. makes it easy. Did you get that? The Gospel of Luke. No, how, Sh- how do you no
1: know? surely it's not John. No, I
0: mean...
1: Oh, the writer's previous book.
0: The writer's previous book.
1: Oh, in the how Why do you know it's Luke and not... I, why is it not someone that's like Paul? Not like Paul,
0: but in this book. Look at the first <laughs> verse of Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former count I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, in other words, I've already written a book, Theophilus, you know this, about what Jesus began to do and teach. Who wrote oh, to Theophilus already in the gospel? Luke did. So in other words, therefore, and that's why the therefore is therefore, it is the sequel. It is an essence, if you think about it, it's kind of like God through man 2.0. That's the idea. And who better, if you think about it, what you have is, it's praxis apostolos in the Greek, and it literally means the practices of the apostles. But if we're going to be fair with it, Luke, I remind you, recorded Jesus as humankind. God in human form, being, living like a human, experiencing human things, being tired and sweating like drops of blood and being fatigued and hungry. He goes through all of that, and of course Luke's going to develop that. And it's great to go, well, this is how God looked. This is what God looked like as a man. Now he's like, this is what God looks like in men. And so he just takes us from this to the obvious progression to the book of Acts. Look at what it says. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days don't miss that and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God for 40 days he is teaching them and it's interesting because it isn't like he's there visibly the whole time he just keeps showing up which is kind of a fun thing which means we have a whole lot of events we don't have recorded in scripture but you know what it does is it forces us to get to this place where we sort of practice the presence of God You just never know when he might manifest. And how cool is that as a thought? And he seemed to do that quite a bit. But if it's 40 days, and this is going to be sort of simple now, from the Passover Sabbath to the actual Pentecost is 50 days. Does that make sense? That's why they call it Pentecost. It literally means the 50. From that Sabbath. Jesus resurrects the day after that Sabbath, that puts us at 49 days. Does that make sense? From the day that Jesus resurrects to the day day of Pentecost will be then 49 days. you all with me on that? Now, of those 49 days, 40 of them he spends teaching and then ascends. So, how many days do they wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them? Nine days. Yeah, sorry. you're like, oh, dude, I didn't know math was going to be about. But no, it's fear, And it's like, here's the point. We have no idea what to expect. Jesus goes, you need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And and we'll get to that right here in, in the next part. Because this is our structure for the entire book. But don't miss this. It isn't like we expected to speak in tongues. It isn't like we expected anything other than this. The Old Testament taught us when the Holy Spirit came upon people, they became world changers. When the Holy Spirit came upon someone, they turned an ordinary, normal human being into a spiritual superhero. But it wasn't for their glory. It was never for their glory. It was always to impact and revolutionize the world. And I've said this before, but not in this crowd, perhaps. And and I have very, very few things that I struggle with when I read scripture and it isn't, I never have a problem with this scripture per se in the sense of questioning its truth but here's my problem if the Holy Spirit comes upon a single guy and the whole world seems to be flipped upside down or right side up the Holy Spirit comes upon two guys and a whole nation is changed imagine if that's my experience from reading the Old Testament it's Moses it's Joshua it's Gideon it's Jephthah of course it's Samson unique by the way it doesn't say the Holy Spirit it just comes upon him it says the Holy Spirit beats him but knowing <laughs> Samson I think that probably was necessary <laughs> a guy named Othniel he's the first um, by the way of the judges the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul appointing him as king and that is removed when he gets his P45 comes upon David for the rest of his life because he's going to be a king for the rest of his life comes upon these prophets and a nation is changed now that's my experience, my understanding. It's a very cursory, but a very simple experience of the Old Testament. We can go into people like Bezalel, the Halea, the guys have built the tabernacle. But in all of that, and if I read that and I thought, and I just read a scripture that said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon five people, what would I think? I'd think, dang, the whole world's going to be transformed. And when I see a country and a nation and a world around us, specifically the Western world, the Holy Spirit's come upon Thousands of people. Mm-hmm. This is my genuine struggle. I'm like, how the world was the world impacted by the Holy Spirit coming upon one person? But it's not remotely so when it's come upon a bunch. Because when the Holy Spirit came upon someone in the Old Testament, they took a they took a mission at hand that didn't involve them. In the sense of it wasn't about them; it was about somebody else. Mm-hmm. It was easy to remember in Gideon's case because it was Gideon versus Midian. You can remember that. And Gideon was one of the most fearful people in all of Scripture. The only person that's actually told to be afraid less in one manner or another is Joshua, ironically enough. But it's like, it's like, I'm empowering you to do this. I'm coming upon you to lead my people, David. I'm coming upon you, Gideon, to deliver my people. I'm coming upon you, Bezalel and Ahaliah, to build my tabernacle. I have a mission and now I'll give you the power to do it. Doesn't it seem funny today that it seems like we really want the spiritual commission but we won't take the mission? Well, anyways, with all that said, I'll I'll get off my soapbox. So Jesus is like, look, you guys need to to hang out. He doesn't tell them how long. And imagine us sitting in a room waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit, not knowing what that would sound like, and someone's stomach rumbles, and we're like, is that it? Or Peter falls asleep, and he starts snoring, and we're like, that's clearly it. I mean, it's like all of the things it could be, but it is important to note when the Holy Spirit does come upon them, it starts with the sound of a rushing wind. It doesn't say they ever felt it. It doesn't say a single hair moved in that room. It's important to note that would be weird. And when it sounds like a hurricane, and then you look around and all the papers are still, that would be weird. But it's important to note the Holy Spirit's identified first by sound, by hearing. Now, with that in mind, Jesus likes to stick around. I want you to uh, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit." And they say, "Well, now this is the time you're going to restore your kingdom, which is where their mind is. And he says in verse seven and that's on your page. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Get that. (laughs) This word power, again, let's focus on this for a moment, because if we develop this, the rest of it picks up quite quickly. Um, Dynamite, of course, we're like, like dynamite problem is, and almost every other application where this word do to me like dynamic is used it isn't speaking about explosive power, it's speaking about power to overcome resistance and it's what the term literally means mm-hmm. is the ability to overcome resistance but if my focus is on me, I'll want power so that I can basically pump up, like that's my mindset, but if it's to take on God's mission, I need power to get over resistance so let me ask you just to see if you agree with me so I'm not going to tell you my answer where is the source of the biggest resistance for you to share Jesus with others Mm -hmm. can I dare say it's us Mm. can you imagine if Jesus is like look at by the way you all did just desert me and flee just a couple days ago you guys are (laughs) all aware of that right you know and he goes but I'm going to give you the ability to get over yourself Mm and then you will be witnesses to me. Isn't that beautiful? Is there anyone that you know that doesn't need that today? Because you'll be witnesses. The word for witness, moteriás, literally means evidence. But I would like you to consider, this is one of the beautiful things. You're never the artist, you're the paintbrush. You're never the craftsman, you're a tool. And you are not the lawyer, you're evidence. So you don't have to convince somebody but you may be convincing someone. The the cool part about it is you don't have to come up with the argument. That's Christ's job. But you want to be available because he will call you to the stand. That's the benefit of being a witness. He may call you to the stand, and here's the beautiful thing. You know what you have to do when you're called to the stand? Answer honestly. How fair is that? He goes, you're going to be that. Now listen, he goes, when when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be evidence to me in Jerusalem. Sorry, no, it's perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Jerusalem, Judea. I'm sorry, Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Are you with me on that? Jerusalem is where they're at. They're waiting. Right Mm -hmm. now, we are in Greenwich Village. All Judea. Greenwich Village happens to be in Greenwich the royal borough borough of Greenwich ah you know in better. so you
1: know it would be easier
0: if we were in Broccoli so we could say Broccoli Lewisham or wherever it is that you live for instance like where do you live boss? you live in pretty much in Camden well see that doesn't help because Camden happens to be in the borough of Camden so how about you I'm not much of a Hammersmith. Hammersmith. oh, great, yeah, thanks. I'm from
1: yeah.
0: Oh, this is really.
1: Um, just from day in Wolfram forest.
0: Okay, okay, but you get you get the idea, right? So when you're like, and here's the problem with us, we'd say, well, I'm from Greenwich, and they're like, oh, Greenwich proper, or like Greenwich the borough, right? Well, it's like you'll be witnesses right where you're at right now. First, the first place this starts is right where you're at. Then it will be the next concentric circle. You will affect the neighborhood around you. But then it goes to this place of Samaria. And you need to know, Samaria was was like the one place you had a problem with. The Jews would actually take an extra day to travel over 26 miles to (coughs) avoid Samaria, crossing the Jordan on both sides so they wouldn't have to go through it because of their prejudice against the people there. They were not only physical half-breeds, but they were also spiritual half breeds. And that comes from the second kings. That can be explained enough to them, But basically, they were taken captive uh, and deported. A lot of other people were brought into Samaria at their fall at 721, 722 BC. And they were like, then they were getting mauled to death by, by lions. And they're like, you know why this is? We don't have any of the priests doing their thing. And if, they're, if we could just get Jewish priests doing Jewish stuff here, then the lions will leave us alone. And it worked. But please hear me. Because this is every other religion in the world. They worship God to keep him away. And now that's exactly what the Samaritans were doing. And so it was, it was kind of like the people that are like, they do Christian practices, but they have no relationship with God. And that was kind of the way they were viewed. So all of that to say, think of the people you might not ever want to go near, because that may be your Samaria. If that makes sense. And then the end of the earth. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact that that's the way this book plays out. It focuses on Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7. Judea in chapter 8, by the first portion of it. Then the second portion, it gets to Samaria. And then finally, chapters 9 through the rest of the book, the end of the world. Now, it's important to note the Old Testament shows us the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and they wound up getting deported east. So I have to think, that's your east, right? In the book of Acts, God takes his people in Jerusalem, and he ultimately moves them west. If you think about it, the gospel moves west. I mean, it will go elsewhere as well, but that's the, that's the focus of the book of Acts. So, Jerusalem, chapters 1-7, it spreads, it spreads to Judea, Judea, after Saul was consented to the death, the people fled, by the way, out of Jerusalem and went to outskirts of Judea and Samaria. And once they went to Samaria, God's going to go and. By the way, the good news is persecution was one of the best things that ever happened in that place because it got the gospel out of the doors. And then finally, in the end of the no, a pivotal book. It's pivotal in three primary ways, and it's important to note this. The first is it's pivotal in location. It starts in Jerusalem. And it moves from Jerusalem to Antioch, Syria, which today is in the land of Syria. So, that's one of the benefits. But ultimately, it moves from Jerusalem to Syria to on the road with Paul and his crew. It's on location after that. I mean, again, after chapter 13, we're just on the go. And it's like we've basically, in chapter 1 to 7, we've set up the studio. But by chapter 13, we're GoPro. It's our only shop. So it is pivotal in regards to location. It is also pivotal in the key figure. In the first seven chapters, it is Simon called Peter. He's kind of your primary focus. But after chapter nine, it's Saul called Paul. That becomes our focus. But it also is transitional or pivotal in ministry style. And this is fundamental because I don't want to diss either. I want to show that it's a progression. <coughs> the ministry style started being building central. In other words, this is the way the Jews were raised. If you build it, they will come. They everyone went to temple. So in other words, you had a central point, and everyone came to you. Might I might say it this way. It was bringing people to Jesus. But it transitions from that to being people-central. In which case, you're bringing Jesus to people. Now, when you first get saved, do you know the 94% of the people who are, at least this is in America, I don't know what it is here, 94% of the people, according to Barnes, that are invited to church and show up have been invited by somebody who's been a Christian less than a year? Do you know that? 94%. Wow.
1: I can imagine.
0: And do you know people who tend to serve in a ministry, that, like that they desire to serve in a ministry, often, it correlates with the ministry where they got saved. It's, you know, you're hard-pressed to find, like a classic example. Daniel, when did you give your life to Christ?
1: Uh, Ten years
0: old. Daniel, by the way, was more than open in volunteering to serve the kids. My heart is for pastors first, but if I have an age group that I just... It's basically that kind of college and career group, university and career group people, that was when I got saved. And I just find it interesting. And one of the things is you kind of... I think you just kind of know, I know God reaches people like that because I was one of them. Mm. If that makes sense?
1: Mm.
0: Now, when you first get saved, though, what you do is you kind of go, I got saved there. Did you should come? Right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's, in essence the beginning of the ministry you know, people are like you need to go out and evangelize let's say look if you are in a place where you're like I I just I, I still get diuretics the thought of sharing Jesus with just someone but it's like well then start with the ministry the way they did which is invite people to a place where you know Jesus is going to be preached but ultimately what happens is you grow and transition to a place where then you're going to go bring Jesus to them does that make sense and I love the fact that God didn't diss it but what he did is he developed it okay does that make sense so, here we go. Uh, um, Acts chapters 1 through 12, the revolution of the stationary church. Chapters 1 and 2, they're waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter's like, you know, we need to help God out. I know why it is. We only have 11 guys. Judas hung himself. We need to get a 12. So let's flip some coins and let's find a guy. Now, again, loose paraphrase, but don't just believe me and then get a guy. I mean, the worst part about it to me is that it's recorded in Scripture that it wound up with two guys and one guy, and the, both the guys are listed. Now you're like, well, whatever happened to no, Matthias, okay. the guy that won? Well, in the end of it all, we don't really read about him after that. But I would think that stinks. You're in the Bible, and you're the guy that lost the toss. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's like you're going to go down and go. Oh, you're like Judas called justice, dude. Sorry to hear about the fact you didn't make the twelve. You know, <laughs> didn't make the cut, man. But anyway, no. yeah, and you're like you're permanently recorded in scripture for this.
1: Um, No, we're
0: waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter tries to help out, but in the end of it all, we don't realize God's been bringing this to a head. For 1,400 years, people have been celebrating the Pentecost as Shavuot, as the feast of the first great harvest. And for 1,400 years, we take the best of our little bits and we bring it before God. It's the first of our harvest, and we go, God, thank you for this. Clearly, this is the beginning of an amazing season of harvest. Interesting, because that's exactly what takes place. The Holy Spirit empowers one hundred and twenty roughly they're praying in a room, and as that is the case, they start speaking and Of course, naturally, we go, well, clearly every one of them is speaking in a language. Yes, they are. Are they all speaking in a language they didn't know before that? you're danger, you're're afraid to answer it for good reason we We know that they're all Jewish people up in a room praying. And it says this in Acts 2 8, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites. Sure, that would be foreign. Those dwelling in Mesopotamia. That would be, by the way, you have metal means middle, potamas means river, the middle river. So that's Iran, Iraq. Moving up from there. The, got, hippos is the word for horse. So a river horse is a Hippas before we get the words. Anyways, notice what's after Mesopotamia. Judea. Guess what the language was of the Judeans? The language that those 120 spoke before this point. Now, would that be weird? We're all in a room and we're praying. The reason I'm saying that is the point is not that they're speaking in foreign languages here, that everyone was, because someone or some ones weren't. But they all were praising God. So imagine, like, we're praying and the Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire upon us and you start speaking Swahili. I assume you know not speak. I not no. But sure. it is a cool language. Or even better, can, dare I say even better, No, oh, that's not a thing. <coughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like, you know, that's right. you know, you're like kind of going there. And while this is happening... Huh it's like, Lois pulls off this perfect Zulu, <laughs> right? And we're just like, dude, that's just epic, right? And while this is happening, at this point now, it's like, it's like you know, Jaden now starts speaking German. And as he starts to speak German. And now, as I say, his German can be a kind of a pretty pronounced and outspoken out- language, and Jaden tends to not be that person. But it would be even cooler, because at that point, Carlo's like, dude, I recognize that language, right? You know, but, and that's the point of it. And while this is happening, Daniel speaks perfect Chinese. Yeah! And while this is happening, people outside are from Germany and from South Africa and it's like and, and it's like and they're kinda of going, Whoa well, I hear this. But not everybody's from that. There are people from Judea. There are people, strangely enough, and this is strange because in London this was one of my biggest surprises, is there are actually a few people from England. In
1: London. You know? I was
0: like I expected to be like hey, you know
1: but
0: I'm like I can't find three guys to rub together that are British. I'm uh, Not that I really, anyway.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: but it's like, it was like so strange to me, but it was like, there are still that, if the Holy Spirit came upon us, He started speaking, it would be good for someone to speak English, because there are people downstairs that barely but still speak that alone right now. And it's like, the point is people are like, what in the world's going on? Peter stands up and speaks, and he says, this is what's, and he takes it to Scripture, thank God for that, and then he gives an altar call, and 3,000 people get saved. Don't miss it. It is the feast of the first great harvest. And so what happens as a result of that? The first great harvest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you go, wow, that was an epic harvest. Mm-hmm. I get excited about the rest of the harvest, because this is the first. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So then, it says that the church, and I love this, and I don't want to miss this verse, because then we actually, we can, I mean, it becomes more general. But in Acts chapter 2, it says this, and it's important to note what happened and what was the result of it, is that they continued steadfastly. So now think about it this way. We were 120 people waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit, but we did things regularly. We had church. And then 3,000 people get saved, and we're like, well, what do we do? You know what we do? We do what we've been doing, because apparently it's good. This has been the danger when we had the terrorists that hit here, uh, specifically, those like Edgeway Road and so forth. If you remember back when, and the 911 situation that hit in America, if people flooded to hit the churches, but the churches hadn't been doing anything to reach people before that point, so now they were like digging up books to figure out how do I reach people. Yeah. I'm like, well, what were you doing before this? Does that make sense? Yeah. And it is really important. So i loved love like, to give me a moment on this, please. They it said they continued steadfastly in four things, and it said, and as a result, the Lord added daily those who were being saved apparently the church was healthy and I like to think of it in sort of four food groups it's like if you start missing out on one of these physically that's what we had in America so we had four food groups and if you miss one of those vitamins that are essential are going to be missed. they're going to be abrogated and your body will suffer for it and I'd say spiritually there are four food groups as well that the church dedicated themselves to these things and continued to when it grew the first it says was the apostle's doctrine was studying the word they were in the Bible. They were, And by the way, Apostles' Doctrine didn't just mean that they got a couple slogans. They actually learned what the Bible said. The second is, notice it says, and fellowship. Now please hear me on this. Fellowship, koinonia, means to have something in common. And this is the danger. <clears throat> Before we came to Christ, we all had something in common. Sin. We were all naturally gifted sinners. You gave your life to Christ. Guess what? We still have in common. Sin. We still deal with it. No. Anyone here not deal with it? <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay. Well, we'll pray for that delusion as
1: well. Yeah, that was good. But <clears throat> and, and please understand
0: what these people were doing is they were learning how to. And I love to spend the focus on the word develop. They were learning how to develop relationships that were Christ-centered. Because if we don't learn how to develop that, we'll default to what we know. You know what happened? Black people will hang out with black people. White people will hang out with white people. Young people will hang out with young people. People that are athletic, they have their athletic group, and then the intellectuals will have their Bible, their study you know group, and then there'll be the musical group that'll have like you know there'll be like jam nights for Jesus or whatever. But in the end of it, and I'm not saying that having in common interests are okay are, are bad, but we have to learn how to put Jesus in the center of our relationships. I mean, look around the table. I'm like, really? I mean, other than the fact I'm the old guy, we don't necessarily have a tremendous amount of common. And that becomes, I think that's one of the beautiful things. People talk Mm. about diversity. This is the kind of diversity that's amazing to Mm. me. And it's like, what these people did is they studied the Word together, and they're like, you know, I should go to hell, you should go to hell, but God saved us both. Isn't that amazing? And you know what I loved about church when I first started going to to one that actually taught the Word? was how people were just blown away by the simple things. You remember, I was like, isn't it awesome to be God help me, I lose a passion for that simple, beautiful truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Cause none of the other mm-hmm.
0: stuff really matters if that
1: one isn't. And I was like, how
0: do we have relationships where Jesus is still at the center? So they did that. That was two, and by the way, that's important. The third thing, by the way, it says is that they broke bread. <coughs> In 1 Corinthians 11, 26, it says that when you do this, you testify of Christ's death till he comes. It is the proclamation of the gospel. God never abandoned the gospel for growing. If you grow away from the gospel and your growth in Christ, you've left your foundation. They constantly, and God ordained, he wanted the gospel preached in church. He's like, lots well, for evangelists. To be honest, if you're going to, this is why we do it, and we give an altar call every time that we're like, and we have our public services, because even if I know everyone's saved there, here's the benefit of it. You're like, well, that's kind of weird. He knows we're all saved, right? But it goes on online, first of all. And second of all, if you know it's going to happen every time, and this we've had after 25 years of ministry, people are like, dude, I can tell you what, I, can, I know that if I invite a lost person, they're going to hear the gospel here and get a chance to say yes to Jesus. There's something really cool about that. And they did this. They, they made sure the gospel was still increased, And that's perhaps one of the reasons why the Lord kept adding daily those who were being saved because they had a chance to. So when, you know, when they sent me down in Camden when we first got here and said, you know, we don't need any more churches. Why does Camden need any more churches? And I'm like, Have you ever, when was the last time you walked on a time? Friday night?
1: Yeah.
0: And they're like, well, we need to let you know nobody gets saved here. And I go, can I ask you, what's the gospel? If you can't tell me what the gospel is, I understand. But the fourth thing, it says that they prayed. Prayers. Paul would say that he desires that men would pray everywhere. But we corporately prayed. Notice what isn't mentioned in these things They continued. Quests for spiritual experience. Time set aside for speaking in tongues. Even epic worship experiences. I will say this, though. If you're a worship experience, song singing, if we will. It should fit into number four as far as I'm concerned because that is one of the things. Prayer. Take a look at, I challenge you to read every song that we sing that has been written by the crew here. Every one of them is a prayer. It's always
1: directed towards God.
0: Not that it's bad to sing songs about, hey everyone, let's jump around and high five for the Lord. That's cool to have those songs. But in the end of it all, they're kind of like energy drinks the prayer God wants in his church. Because Jesus even said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And and you're probably aware of the fact that traditionally, even Hebrew prayers, were sung, So it doesn't surprise me that I'm like, this is why when we started writing all of our worship songs, or most of them, we were like, we want them to be prayers. They start with, how awesome are you, God? Usually and end up with God have all of me, this is my surrender because that's where it should go anyways, and it's just important to note, this was a healthy church, and by the way God said that they ate their bread with simplicity of heart, literally with singleness of heart, in other words, it, was like, it wasn't complicated there wasn't politics it was just like, wasn't it great to be let's just read the Bibles together, try to develop relationships with Jesus now at the center, let's make sure the Gospels preached, and let's pray together, how cool would that be And they're like, well, that doesn't sound like church. If it doesn't sound like church, then we need to change church. Okay, you with me so far? Okay, now, so this is what happens. What we have now in the next part, chapters 3 through 8, are five distinct fronts of attack that take place because this church now is impacting and transforming the world around them. Chapters 3 and 4 is our first, and the first one is intimidation. They heal a man at the man oh, well, Christ heals a man at the gate. Beautiful. And it causes quite a crowd. Peter stands up and speaks again. By the way, we don't have Peter's full message in Acts 2. It doesn't with many other words he spoke. In other words, God's like, I'll give you the highlights. Who knows how long that message was. But here it's like Peter speaks again, and they pull him in, and they're like, look at, and I think it's really exposing that they're like, look at, I don't mind you guys having your group. Just don't mention the name Jesus, and we're okay. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Like, you can have your church. You can have your buildings. You can sing your little songs. You can do your little dances. Do your whatever. Carry your little books. Write your things and have your own little stores for it. Just don't mention Jesus and we're going to be cool. And I'm like, wow. And the ironic thing is this was the religious group. And each one of these attacks, there will be a response and a result. Notice that. The first one, they tried intimidation. What they did, and when they arrested Peter and John in this, what happened as a result of that is Peter and John left. They sought fellowship and they prayed. They sought other believers and they prayed. But I love this. They didn't pray for less persecution. They prayed for greater boldness. This is one of my favorite things about my friends in Africa who are serving there. They're like, brother. They're like, you know, in America or in the Western world, you pray in a burden, you pray for a lighter burden. We pray for a stronger back. Oh, I love that this haunts me. I'm honest to tell you this. For real. Because it's like they came back from this thing after being intimidated. But I remind you the same people that, that Jesus killed only a couple months ago so they mean business. And I'm like, you know what? I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say this is I wonder if could it, could it be that their fear was an indicator they weren't following the Holy Spirit because it says be being filled with the Holy Spirit in that words, you continually seek to be filled <coughs> because they came back they left there and they're like man I need to get filled with the Holy Spirit again and I just I just wonder if it was like well I'm fear is gripping me God I need more of your Holy Spirit right now and I'm not asking for less persecution but I need more boldness and I know that comes with the power of your Holy Spirit I already saw the next too I know that the result of it God does an earthquake he shakes the world fills them with the Holy Spirit and great boldness ensues he responds in that way and that's our first challenge and by the way I wonder how much of the church this would shut down how much intimidation well, let's face it in England that's just a cross look I mean most of the people here that give you that look they couldn't put up behind that look anything let's just be honest It's like a little old lady. Or it's like some person that... I mean, even if they... Even if they have... On their best day, they're no match for you. Your sister could beat them up. And they kind of give you that look and it ruins your day. And you're like, how does that happen? (laughs) And that's the sort... That's the the depth of our intimidation. Hmm. Chapter 5 is our second front. And that is concession. Compromise. Ananias and Sapphira. I remind you, a couple who, by the way, because somebody was already selling... Barnabas, by the way, will lead... Um, had sold property and people were like and I just love this because people were like you know God's taking care of everything I've got two pieces of property what do I need that for let's sell the other one let's help people out that are in need what a cool church that is you know where it's like you know what this just isn't about me and because it isn't about me I have way more than I need let's just start giving this stuff out Mm -hmm. and there's a couple that's like wow look at how they get (laughs) applauded we should do the same thing the problem was, was not that they sold the property, and the problem wasn't even that they kept some of it back. Mm-hmm. Please hear me The problem is, is that they presented themselves as being totally surrendered, mm-hmm. when they very well knew they weren't. Mm-hmm. And can I just say, you play the game of acting fully surrendered, when you know you're holding back, that's gonna occur to you too. You might not get blasted out of the sky like that, because you know you're playing a game. Mm-hmm. And if God doesn't nail you on it then you start to think that thing's a joke you're like Psh. let's be honest and I think every one of us can be there easily if we're not careful mm-hmm. so this concession what's the response God slays them death occurs by the way I challenge you anywhere in scripture to find any place where God slays those he loves like where he like slays his friends or his family he only slays his enemies the only reason I say that is because there's a, there was a movement for quite a while where God was slaying people. The Holy Spirit was slaying people. You know? And I go, the problem with that is in Scripture, every time God is slaying someone, it's his enemy. I don't think I really want to be on the end of that. Well, anyway, don't want to get weird with that. But as a result of that, and I find this interesting, is that people really esteemed the church highly. Let's face it, if God blasted compromisers and you're still standing, props to you. To be honest, and it's like sometimes when man, when some when that gavel goes down, people actually respect you for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, chapter five. We have a sec, or a third front. So intimidation and concession. The third one is legislation. They arrest Peter and John, throw Peter in jail, as they throw him in the common prison, which means he's there with you know drunks and guys that beat up ladies and all kinds of other things and. He's there and they're like, What are you in there for? Show
1: <laughs> sure, Jesus was so much. <laughs> Could you imagine? Would you lie? Would you be like, Oh, I killed three people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I watch
0: like, people, man, they go to prison and they turn into somebody I've never seen before. <laughs> I'm like, think you have, like, no, let me
1: tell you what, man, I'll tell you I was fighting eighteen people.
0: Like your sister beat you up, yesterday. <laughs> The response, no concession here. They refused to back down. And they said, look, it, didn't we tell you to shut up about that name? They're like, I can't help it yeah, But I love this statement in 541. It says, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They were like, wow, do you realize? Now, in America, we have in high school, which we don't even have that here. Secondary school is the closest we have Basically, from 13 to 18, you're basically in what's called high school. During that time, you have sports classes, which I'm learning not everybody goes to. But (coughs) uh, you had your on your teams. You had what was called the junior varsity, and then you had the varsity. It's like a film. Just these American films will help you with this. But the idea of if you try it out, and traditionally, the, because there was a four-year program, the last two years, that's juniors and seniors, they made varsity, because they were going to be the best traditionally. But to make varsity means you made the best team. We'd say it this way, like you made Premier League. Well, that's probably only going to speak to two of you here, maybe three. Mm. Uh, but on the other side of it, it's like, you, it's like, so they say, oh, man, you made JV. And it's like, congratulations. What that means is you are good enough to make a team, but you didn't make the team. Does that make sense? And the reason I say that is, is that um, you got to be good to make varsity, especially. I My mean, our school is five thousand people, so I mean, if you're going to make any team, you did pretty well. And they, I don't, I don't, I don't I'll go for that, but they'll just say that I the privilege of being able to play at a higher, a higher level. And I'm like, when somebody singles you out and wants you out, that's on the opposing team. You're actually doing something right. If they're like, you're no threat. Then I'm like, wow. And people are like, I don't understand why it seems like the enemy's picking on me. Mm-hmm. You know, take it as a compliment. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like, well, oh, good. I mean, anytime somebody that's opposing looks and goes, oh, good, I've got you, you know, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I can focus on something else now. But it's like, and the reason I say that is is, is that they said, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. We made varsity on this. You saw it in a way to put us a premier league because persecution to this level
1: means you knew that we
0: could handle this. You wouldn't here's the great thing. Our coach wouldn't put us in a field of play. We aren't going to win it. The result? They were daily in the temple and every house did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus is the Christ. Teaching, informing. Preaching, laying out the information to hope to sway your opinion. Chapter six, and now this is our last our second to last of the um, of the all out of fronts. Division. The story is Hellenist widows. They're Jewish by nationality, but they're Greek by practice. Hear me on this little tirade for just a quick second. One of the things the enemy uses to separate Christians, and it's extremely effective, is having us relegate ourselves back to the foundational elements of our previous identity. Our race, our education, our social station, Those are all things that we drew our identity from before Jesus. Noreen will never be pasty white no matter how long she stays in America. Uh, And I will never be your color. And and anyways, I'm melanin in envy. But but when we go back to those things, it starts to divide Christians. Now, there's not, I mean the reason I say that it will always be this is if this again, remember we're learning to develop relationships with Christ at the center. And we relegate back to a previous life and it, and what happens is it divides Christians. And the moment in the simplest sense is, if you actually can fill in a space when it says I'm a blank Christian, you're already <laughs> going to start dividing. If you can fill in that blank with anything. I'm a black Christian, a white Christian, Messianic Christian, I'm an East European Christian, I'm a, and it's again, because you're drawing your identity from it though. And we've had people that it's like, when movements come where it focuses on that thing, and again, that doesn't mean people should be mistreated, that doesn't mean any of those things, but wouldn't it be better if we as a team were like, people should be equally paid if they're doing equal job and they're actually pulling in the money for it? I mean, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, you know, you shouldn't pick on a person because of their color. But if we did that together, that would make quite a statement. You've got, I mean, pardon me for saying, you've got 15 black people, and they all figure you should stop picking on black people. People are like, of course you're going to say that. But the moment that you have a Christian group, and it's like, this isn't about, it's like lives matter, because lives matter, all lives matter, you shouldn't be treating somebody like that the statement has a greater. Prefer- again, that's just me. But the reason I say that is, is that that's what was happening in the church. Here, the enemy was trying to destroy the church, and the way he was doing is, was because the moment we go back to those things, the prejudices that come with that come part and parcel with it again. And I tell you, every race can be pre- can be prejudiced to every other race. I, you know what? I was raised in a neighborhood where I was I used to say I was the only white chocolate chip in the cookie, mm-hmm. and I'd say, I just want to say. You can't tell me that people, will only prejudice if you're white. Well, that's a very prejudiced statement to make. But I've been told that. You know? I'm like, look it, in the end of it all, we cannot take our previous prejudices with us. And if we go back, there we won't. Some of you are familiar with Lauren Hill. She's got a great voice, doesn't she? Do you know how much she hated black people back when she was in the Fijis? Hated them. And one, she was in a band called the Fugees. And then she had her solo project. She was also in Sister Act One.
1: Yeah. <gasps> which one?
0: The one that had the great voice at the end. It was it two? Maybe. Daniel
1: okay. can tell you. Yeah. Oh, she, which one? Okay. Oh. Was yeah. it really two?
0: Okay. Anyways.
1: Yeah.
0: But man, yeah, she's she's a great voice. But she had a real problem, and so and she has she would speak about having a conversion experience. And when she, had a con- when she would do that, people naturally asked, "How do you feel about white people?" She's, "I'm working on it," mm.
1: you
0: know. And that's right. And that's the point because it's like in the end of it all, you'll never stop being black, Lauren. You'll just stop making that your identity. If mm. that makes sense. I have to be careful how I say that because that <coughs> steps on a lot of toes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you know, you'll always be Irish, you know? and then you'll have, a, you know, but. <laughs> But that isn't what makes love. You, know? uh, sure. you know? And, you know, that's like, you know, and there are things that will happen as a result of that. A barbecue happens on America, on Californians, like a barbecue happens, or in a good way, it gets my heart racing. That may never stop on this side of heaven. But it's not who I am, first and foremost. And, it, unfortunately, it was here, and so they were neglecting these widows. So what they did, and please hear me on this, is they sat and they had a meeting with the church, And they said, who, and I love these two words, among you, do you know? It's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They never, the church never hired from without. A healthy church raises up. And what they did is they went and they said, there is a need in the church. And so it needs to be met in the church. And I love this. Imagine you have the meeting and you're like, who do you know that you would say, now that person is selfless, full of the spirit and wisdom. People are like, Stephen, duh, Stephen. And they're like, Philip. Oh yeah, Philip, the Oh
1: yeah, the canner, yeah. Okay, I'm going to...
0: Parmenas. Parmenas sounds like a cheese, but that sounds a good thing. <laughs> You know, because it's like, by this point, there's so many people, 5,000 plus, it's like the leadership can't personally minister to all of them, but I love the fact that what happens is when these guys got raised up to minister, everyone was like, of course. Every time we've ordained somebody for pastorship, the whole fellowship's going, it's about time. We see this.
1: I love that. Hmm.
0: You know, And it was cool because, and then you look at the seven <laughs> names and you know what's really interesting is all of those names are Greek names. To reach out to Greek-influenced women this, these guys actually make sense and the great part is the leadership what they did if you think about it was ordain on the same level people for service they're like clearly these aren't second class citizens because we're putting them to task on this I, kinda, I really like that they saw their problem solving and their needs to be met within the church and I am very thankful for that as a result of that by the way interesting it says a good number of priests became obedient to the faith <laughs> in other words people who have been steeped in religion go oh there's something very different happening there the needs are being met from within huh now I must be I should take a look at that I think it's kind of a cool thing isn't it okay our last of our challenges in this outright open and violent persecution and this happens of course at the hand of a guy named Saul who now goes ballistic and mental trying to kill everyone now he is a student of Gamaliel who is the grandson of a guy named Hillel who, by the way, is considered one of the greatest teachers ever in the law. In Judaism, they call him Halal the Great or Halal the Elder. Mm -hmm. His his grandson, and it's important, and it's easy to miss this, by this point, the Sanhedrin, the ruling party, which is 70 people, was headed over by a president. Halal was the president first. Well, not the original president, but he was the president in this order. Then came a guy, but he wasn't even from Jerusalem. He was originally from Babylon. And so the next guy came was super nationalist. He would almost be like, what do they call this? The English Defence League. He'd be like a guy like that. And he was actually his mindset. His name was Shemai, and he would basically tell people that Gentiles were created to fuel hell. That's a warm and fuzzy, which is completely the opposite of love. Well. And so then after Shemai, it wound up becoming Hillel's son. So like the pendulum just kept doing this. But Gamaliel, who was the became the president of the Sanhedrin. I believe he was the president of the Sanhedrin during the time that Jesus was killed. And he was under more of that kind and compassionate halal. It's interesting. They actually say that when, when this guy died, Gamaliel died, the glory of the Torah died with him. Because he was the last great Torah teacher in the eyes of traditional Jews. And he was Paul's, Saul's, personal teacher. Kind of like studying under C.S. Lewis. They had the Torah program. Kind of that mm-hmm.
1: So yes. this, <coughs> what's that? How do we know this?
0: Because well, Paul actually gives testimony of Gamaliel. Mm-hmm. He says raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Raised at the feet of him means that this guy, he didn't just show up there at 13. He was a kid dropped off, and he was raised there like Samuel was with Eli priest in
1: First Samuel. Is mm-hmm. there the, the other uh, of a text of Gamaliel uh, outside of the Bible as well?
0: Yes, yeah. as a matter of fact, all of the texts about Gamaliel, for the most part, are going to be outside of that. People like Josephus, for instance, the historian, they have a lot to say about him. Yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, there's all kinds of stories. And, you know, but, anyways, so here's the point of this. and then, Because the last part just kind of picks up, and I'll just give a basic overview, is that the church endured every one of these things. But the problem was is that the thing that the church was becoming was extremely stagnant. And God focuses on this word apostle, which literally means sent out. The ironic thing is that the apostles weren't going anywhere. So it's kind of like going, we're the world travelers, and what we do is we sit at home and watch Netflix you know, shows. It's like, oh, funny. you know. And it's like, yeah, you can tell me about all of these places, but I don't see a single stamp in your passport. That's a little weird. You know? It's like the apostles aren't going anywhere. So what does it take? that's what it took oh you get know, almost like the, the power the, the fist of persecution came down and everyone scattered but when they scattered they preached the gospel <laughs> hi <laughs> Woo! okay so now here it is so what happens ultimately this guy thinks I found myself I found my purpose let's wipe out this cult and in the eyes of Saul Christianity looks like a cult you no, know, we have Judaism, and this is how we do Judaism. And then there's these nuts that follow this Jewish guy. Clearly, that can't be Jewish. You know, and, and it's like, and, and so they're like, we need, to, we need to eradicate this cult. It's I'm going to do that. And he gets letters from the high priest, and he goes all the way 120 miles north to Damascus to go and kill every Christian you can find, arrest them, bring them back. He's got complete carte blanche, and that turns every Christian into Jason Bourne. <laughs> Meanwhile, all of this is happening. Peter even has a problem because he is sent through a dream to go and speak to a Roman centurion. Who, well, by the way, there's no centurion in Scripture that's given bad rap. There are men that are given that by nobility. And, uh, and so he goes and he preaches Jesus, and the Holy Spirit jumps those guys. And now he's like, oh my goodness, now I have a problem. I've got Gentiles that are speaking in tongues. And I'm like, oh. And then by the next chapter, he has to defend himself. Imagine coming back from a mission trip and a bunch of people got saved and someone wants you preach to those guys you are like yeah you know and at that point I'm starting to think I'm at the wrong church and if a church isn't about reaching the world it'll be about defending its thing hmm. and that becomes a problem so what happens ultimately God gets a hold of this guy knocks him off his high horse literally if you will and this guy now Saul tries to do this new Jesus thing with his old Jewish ways and it doesn't work which by the way is arguing and debate and so ultimately what they have to do is everywhere he goes he causes quite a trouble and this is what happens you're excited about Jesus and this is what you know so the problem is it's like well I'm a musician now I got saved now I'm a Christian musician well you might actually want to let God actually show you how if he wants to use it or not because it doesn't work with everyone you know it's kind of like oh, I was a prostitute now I'm a Christian prostitute yeah it doesn't work
1: you know? <laughs>
0: now of course that's obvious but just trying to slap a coat of Jesus on it is not sanctifying it and what he does is he goes, well, this is how we do things. We argue, we yell, and we we scream. And in the end of it all, we win.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And as, ultimately, you have to pull him aside. They're like, dude, you need to get out of here. And they send him off to where he came from originally, where he was born, Cilicia, which is the southeast corner of Turkey. And it says, then the church had peace and was edified. Mm-hmm. Like, you ever think, well, here's the secret for growing a church and having it be peaceful and edifying: kick out a guy like that having <laughs> no clue but here's the thing he had to learn from that and it's fairly likely that that's where he learned to, to, to make sense
1: because
0: at that point he has to make a, no, a normal living mm-hmm. completely unaware well I mean although he had the calling that clearly had been listed to him by Ananias Isaac I brought him back sight mm-hmm. but imagine it's like, like it's for like 8 years it's like I know God's got this great calling on my life but what the heck am I doing and he's just trying to live normal I guarantee he wouldn't have said, you know what's going to happen? Some guy that I tried to kill is going to seek me out and go, dude, I want you to pastor a church. But that's what's going to happen. And then things relocate 200 miles north to, a, to Syria because this church is actually starting to do what the Jerusalem church isn't, which is reach out to people. And they're like, you know, all these people are saved and they're real excited about Jesus. And you know churches like this. They're super excited about Jesus. They love being saved. But they don't know the word. And they need to get grounded. Or what's going to happen is they'll be super excited, but they'll be like firecrackers, and the wind's just going to blow them in every direction. And cults are going to jump on that because I know a guy, I know a Bible teacher, and at a risk, Barnabas, who's nicknamed up by his by the by the friends, by the church. Barnabas, by the way, means son of encouragement. We might say Mister Encouragement. Oh, that guy's Mister Encouragement. Totally makes sense off he goes, and he goes, and he has to go, I mean, there's no Google, there's no, you know, he has to knock on doors and go, do you know a guy named Saul, one of the 11 most common names among Jewish people, you know, and, you know a guy named Saul from Tarshish, and he's in Tarshish, do you, know, do you know a guy named Bob from London, how many doors do you want to knock on, and they're like, oh, I think I know a guy like that, but he finds him, every, oops, that him, and he brings him back to this church, and the church was started, the church of Antioch, Was started by a bunch of people who fled from him. Could you imagine that? But consider this. He said, I pulled people away from their families, beat them in front of their families, and forced some to blaspheme. He'd show up at their house and he'd say, Denounce Jesus, and I'll leave you alone. I wonder how many people did
1: and others that are like
0: I am not backing down on this alright well you'll go and get it you with me on this? the reason I say this when he showed up at that church in Antioch I wonder how many of them he knew did that imagine walking in church and going do you deny Jesus? you deny Jesus? wouldn't that be a weird thought? you know there was a prostitution ring in the area we live in California that all but one person gave their life to Christ.
1: Wow. And they
0: all went to our church. That's how we knew about it.
1: Wow.
0: And, I, and they said the reason why they felt comfortable in our church was because they knew none of them knew of any of the guys in leadership as a client. Sorry? None of the girls knew any of our leadership as a mm-hmm. client.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They had been invited to some of the churches and they were hungry for to be rescued. They pop into a place and they're like, the pastor or the assistant pastor or the youth pastor were crying. So you can imagine. And they're like, she goes, Do you, I remember one gal specifically going, Do you know how amazing it is to actually go into a place and be anonymous? And I could just see her crying. I was like, Wow. And that's just, I mean, I'm like, Can I make a deal with you? And I sat down with all these girls collectively, if any person you recognize in this fellowship if you see anyone that tries to use your services prior to this point or any of your friends or whatever will you let me know right away turned out there was a male prostitute that was functioning in our fellowship at first she popped in a few times and we sat down with him believe it or not he needed marriage counseling anyways uh, all I have to say it's just cool and the reason I say that I wonder what it was like for Paul to look in and see people that probably freaked out the moment he showed up there and they're like he's going to kill us and then there are people that are like oh this is going to haunt me yeah. and then the Holy Spirit says no set that guy aside and we're going to go touch the rest of the world and he only really uses a guy and an apprentice and an assistant uh, for pretty much for the rest of the trip now I've given you pages so you can actually take a look at those trips and they're summarized so I won't develop that now for the sake of time. But I want to end with how the book ends. By the time it ends, Paul is arrested in Rome. But I'd like you to look at the last verse and I'll I'll, actually I'll read you the last couple verses of the book of Acts. So I mean, what you have for the rest of the book up to that point is just basically the beautiful exploits of a guy with his crew sharing Jesus in places. And it's like, so you realize half of the book is basically that. But listen how this book ends.
1: If I can just get. Into. You know, seriously. Right? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's kind of like, huh? Okay, so this is what it says. So then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all yeah. who came to him. Yeah. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things that were concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him.
1: <laughs>
0: and here's the guy. And I, I remind you, this is Luke's sequel. And I'm trying to think if Luke lived another ten years, there would be like Acts Part Two.
1: <laughs> right? yeah. it's like, like
0: do you, like you know, movies like this. Dan, can I say two words? Star and Wars. There are movies where it's like this movie, like this didn't end. This one just setting you up for the next one. Cash cow, you know. And the only reason they say that is, is this was clearly written with the idea that oh, I don't have any sense of finality in this. And God does it on purpose. He did it in Jonah. Remember that? That's like Jonah. By the time the Book of Jonah is, by the way, you realize it's the biggest re- revival. I mean, as far as we're talking hundreds of thousands of people responding. Mm. Biggest revival in the entire Bible, and a guy's whining to God about it and complaining. And then he complains to God because a leap, because a weed dies. Because it gave him a little shade. Mm. And by the time the thing ends, he's still having a hissy fit. He's still like, what the heck is wrong with that guy? And he's like, and the end. And you're like, the end? He didn't repent. God didn't blast him. And you're like, God kind of left you in the end of it all. You ever like things where you're like, I think I need to take like an emotional bath (laughs) And I really like that because God's like, so what did we learn from this? And I'm like, don't be that guy. And you know, it's like me. And the reason I say that is, do you know what tells us that Christ records all of our deeds? except this. Love keeps no record of wrongs and all of our our things that have been forgiven are not recorded. They've been washed in the blood. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So what God has left, when you read the book of Hebrews and it says, Abraham didn't waver in his faith. And you're like, "Uh, did you read Genesis? Because I read, and you realize, what's in between Genesis and Hebrews? The cross. Mm -hmm. And that washed away all those things and God goes, let me show you what it looks like on this side of the cross. This is what's left. All of the good things. Isn't that awesome? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the reason I say that is, is that the way the book of Acts ends is it doesn't because what if God's still writing it? What if one of the chapters is this one right here? Then there were a group of people and they were praying around a table with some chips. Yeah, having salad, right? And and about to go and share a song downstairs. Why not? Do you know why a lot of the book of Acts may not be written? Because the church doesn't do stuff. Well, they do programs and stuff. And again, I'm not trying to diss the whole church, but it's like, weak. I mean, here's what it was. We waited on God's power, and we went out and we made people the important thing, and then we wanted to share it with them. And, and that was going to be intimidation. Yeah, I guess that was going to be that. And then there was going to be compromise, and then there was going to be all-out persecution by the time we're done. But in the end of it all, we just kept praying, God, get me over it. Get me over me so I don't stop this. And then people were changed.
1: No question. That's an interesting thought, because... You think about the the Bible was written in and they kind of finished there, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and then that's it. But now, 2,000 years later, we have to refer back to that. But thinking ahead, like imagine 4,000 years ahead, of I mean, obviously, yeah. not going to happen, but theoretically, like they, oh, it's kind of weird because we're not writing when We're writing books and stuff about stuff, but it's not yeah. like a like a sort of. It's weird. I don't know. If you make yeah. Sense, like a continuation of like Jesus doing amazing stuff. It's like just stop there and be like. Well, we can know, we can just like yeah, well, whatever we want. That's the end of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, like, yeah, and especially here, because like, what about Spurgeon? Mm-hmm. What about these men that stood up in the face? I mean, Wesley, whether you agree or disagree with all the stuff they were about, I mean, <coughs> I love this guy in this sense. He's 87 years old, and he's like, the doctor tells me I have to sleep past 4.30, so I fired him. He's like, I feel, I feel like I didn't get a much accomplished because I only spoke at seventeen places this week. <laughs> you know, and again, I'm not telling you I need to be everyone, but it's just I get so used to like, no, no, it's cool, don't try harder, because you know I don't want you to like break a nail. And it's like this guy would be like, shut up, let's go. And at least I love people that at least there's no doubt this guy was so full on. He's like, I don't want to sleep past 4:30 because I need to get somewhere to preach Jesus to people. And I'd rather be with a guy like that. Yeah. <laughs> A guy that goes, you know, two more hours. (laughs) You know, come on, we're going to call it the duvet of grace. (laughs) And I'm not trying to, you know, look at, I'm not trying to diss on your thing. I'm just telling you, that's my world. My world is I don't respect myself when I'm like coasting. And I want to be full on, man. When this jersey gets retired, I don't want anyone to go, there's no way anyone else is going to be able to use that thing anymore. So, so I want to just pray first. I want to pray. Well, what 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 would Acts 29 look like? And you've probably heard of people that call themselves that. Why do they call themselves that? Because Acts 28, the last chapter, doesn't seem to have an end. So they're like, guess what? We're call the next
1: chapter. To hi. Yeah. So so <laughs> I would know let's
0: let's just be honest. By this point, it should be like Acts 612, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, right? Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But regardless of
1: whatever it
0: is, I I I want to be in the book. I mean, not like the guy that didn't get picked in chapter one. I, mean, I want to be the guy that's like, and you know what, can I just say, this is basically what they did. They loved God, they trusted him, and they were available. And then they were like, okay, I was just, and they had, and I love this, they had a go for it in their spirit. People like, well, they all moved in together. Well, it didn't work out. But God recorded in scripture because they loved God enough to try. It's like, you know, I, I remember reading notes from the underground, Dostoevsky. and it drove me mental. Because the whole thing is like, this guy thinks he's so smart, he doesn't do anything. He's, he's smart enough to try to convince himself, well, this is why I don't do that. And by the time you're done, you're so angry at the guy, because what's clear is, is he's all more worst enemy. And it's like, I don't buy it with that guy, and I don't buy it in me. It's like, where's that go for it in the spirit of the Christians? Where it's like, you know what, let's just try it. And so he's like, you know what, well, you tried it and it didn't work out. But you tried it. let's do jeans and jackets for Jesus. We'll just collect jeans and jumpers and so forth and hand them out to people and preach Jesus to them. We did that for a while. And then ultimately what happened? We ran out of jeans and jumpers and so forth and so jackets and jumpers. Praise the Lord. But we didn't. They're like, well, how did it work? Well, we gave it a try and people's lives were touched and then we're like, okay, let's do something else. You can go, well, how come we're not still doing that? Because we aren't. But what are we doing? You know, and even if we're just available, we're like, Lord, I just want to go for it in my spirit. Because that's all they had. You can't tell me that these people were any more brilliant than we were. And not that we're brilliant, but I look at these people, and, and even then it's like, God's like, look, it, I'm only going to record part of this sermon for Peter, because, but here's the point, you know. I, I feel I'm on that. And so I just want to pray. What if we just pray, God, get me over me by the power of your Holy Spirit, and give me a go for it in mine? Is that fair? Alright, well Lord, here we are on this night, (laughs) having gone through the entire book of Acts in an hour, and here we are going, uh, we want to be available. So would you get us over us? By the power of your Holy Spirit, get us over us. Don't let any of the things that would get us back to focusing on us happen. And if they try, Lord, get us over that. Everything, Lord, from intimidation to litigation, Lord, to compromise and concession, Lord. I don't want any of that to happen, Lord. To all-out persecution, get me so over me that it's about you and then it's about people. So, Lord, get me over me by the power of your Spirit and put a go for it in my spirit. A go for it that says, Lord, I'm available, now let's do that. Whatever that is not worrying about what kind of fool I can make for myself, or even not being concerned about, well, what if it doesn't work out? I know this, Lord. You would rather have me trying things in love for you than just being able to say to you, God, I did nothing excellently. So, Lord, I just pray that I would just be available, and I pray that for all of us. Put that fire in us, God. Prepare us now, Lord, just to, to share a song, Lord, and that we would be ready mm. and that it really would be awesome. Lord, in lives would be touched. As we commit ourselves to you, we need the power of your Holy Spirit mm. to stay focused and to be bold and right on and that. In Jesus, in your name we pray this. Mm. Write your book. Now, maybe <laughs> you get hand cramps from writing this book in regards to what you do through us. Jesus, in your name.